Welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast. If you love tennis and want to improve your game, this podcast is for you. Whether it's technique, strategy, equipment, or the mental game, tennis professional Ian Westerman is here to make you a better player. And now, here's Ian. Hi, and welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast, your place for free, expert tennis instruction that can truly help you improve your game. Today's episode of the Essential Tennis Podcast is brought to you by TennisTours.com. Before we get to today's questions that I'm going to be answering, I want to talk to you guys briefly about a feature at EssentialTennis.com that, truthfully, I don't think you guys are taking advantage of nearly enough. Now, the forums at EssentialTennis.com have grown, and I'm really happy about that. I'm really proud of the community that has been growing over there. But I think more of you guys need to go experience it for yourselves and start taking advantage of it. It's not just a place to go and burn time and waste time on the internet. It's really a place where you guys can continue to help improve your tennis game. And one way that happens is through professional feedback. I spend a lot of time there posting, answering questions, and giving my two cents. There are other professional certified USPTA tennis pros as well that are friends of mine. Uh, Royce is one. He's been on the podcast a couple times. He spends a lot of time there as well giving feedback. So it's another way that you can get value out of essential tennis by getting feedback from myself and, and other pros. Also, the, as I mentioned a second ago, the community and support aspects of the forums are incredible. People post their experiences during league matches and tournaments. They post their problems that they're having with their mental game or their technique and their strokes. And other members give feedback or, or just give support and say, hey, you know, stick with it. Don't worry about it. Or, hey, I've got that same problem. This works for me. And it's just a wonderful place to go to stay passionate about tennis and continue getting ideas and and just kind of give yourself a kick in the pants when you need it to continue working hard at your game. So to give you guys some extra incentive to go and check it out, if you are one of the first seven people this week to sign up for a free account and introduce yourself in the top forum there at the forums, which is the introduction forum. All you have to do is sign up for free, introduce yourself to the community there, and I will send you a free copy of Mental Tennis by Vic Braden, which is an amazing book about mental tennis. Totally free of charge. I'll send that to you. All you have to do is go to the forums and sign up, introduce yourself, and I will send you a free book. So please do go check it out. Again, it's completely free. I'm not trying to to trick you guys here or anything. I, as with all of the different parts of the website, I want it to continue to grow. I want more people there, and that will continue to to make it a, a better and better place for everybody to continue working at their tennis games. So go check it out. All right, let's get down to business. Sit back, relax, and get ready for some great tennis instruction. All right, let's get started with today's show. And the first question that I'm going to discuss comes to us from Tony in Georgia. Now, this is not Georgia in the United States of America, but rather Georgia, the country in far eastern Europe. 
which is pretty cool, uh, Tony. I'm, I'm pretty fr- pretty sure you're the first Georgian listener that I've heard from, so it was really nice to hear from you. He wrote to me and said that he plays three times a week, and he groups himself within the top five Georgian tennis players under the age of 18. So, Tony, keep up the good work, and I, I hope that you continue to work at your tennis, and uh, hopefully in, in the near future you can maybe do some international competition, etc., His question was, how exactly should I hit a strong attacking shot on the rise? I don't get a lot of these types of shots because I usually just let the ball come back down again, and I want to make a slight change in my playing style this way. Well, Tony, that's a good question. And Andre Agassi kind of made this type of shot popular uh, back in the early and and, uh, mid-90s. He really stayed close to the baseline and took the ball earlier than most professional players had up until that time. Now, there's no doubt in my mind that players before Andre Agassi did did take the ball early and did hit the ball on the rise. There's no doubt about that. But he kind of used it more exclusively as a playing style and really stayed close to the baseline, unlike a lot of players back in the 90s that were starting to get farther and farther away from the baseline and hit with more topspin and more power. So anyway, uh, I'm going to be talking today, Tony, about not only how to hit this shot more aggressively, but I want to take this opportunity to tell you and the rest of my listeners about how this shot works in general as well. I want to make sure everybody's on the same page about this shot, about taking the ball on the rise and how to do it correctly before I start talking about hitting it aggressively. So my first couple of topics here are going to have to do with the shot in general. So let's just uh, give a little bit of background information about the shot. First of all, it's an excellent tactic to learn. It takes time away from your opponent. When you hit the ball right after it's bounced, you get, you take away time. You, you, you're closer to the ball to where it's bouncing than you normally would be when you would let the ball come up to the top and the uh, top of its bounce and then come back down again before you hit it, like you described, Tony. So by taking it earlier, you give your opponent less time to react to your shot. It also keeps you in a better position on the court. As I mentioned a second ago, to take the to hit the ball with a ground stroke on its way back down from the bounce, you need to be farther away from where it landed on the court in the first place. So by taking the ball on the rise, you have the advantage of staying closer to your opponents, and you get to keep yourself in a in a more offensive position, a little bit closer to your opponents and closer to the net. Now, on the rise basics, as I mentioned a second ago, it is hitting while the ball is coming back up from uh, making contact with the court. So it's exactly uh, what its title says. It's hitting on the rise as it's rising up off the court after it's bounced. The easiest way to hit a ground stroke is on its way back down again. It gives you the most time to react to the bounce after it's hit the court. And it's just the, it's the easiest way to do it, uh, period. However, hitting on the rise is useful in several situations. And I've outlined three of them here. First of all, it's useful when your opponent has hit a very deep and high bouncing shot. Uh, an example of this would be um, a shot that's crossed the net by a wide margin, maybe four or five feet over the top of the net with a lot of topspin, and the ball is about to land within a couple of feet from the baseline. Now, this type of shot from your opponent, if you were to let it get all the way up to the peak of its bounce, then let it come back down again to your strike zone, which is somewhere around waist height. Uh, that's where you typically want to make contact with a ground stroke. 
in order to allow that to happen and hit it in kind of this more traditional way, letting it come back down again, you're going to have to back way up behind the baseline. Sometimes there's not even enough room behind the baseline to let it come down to your strike zone again, and, and which means that you're going to end up backing up way behind the baseline and hitting it in an awkward position at shoulder heights or even above shoulder height to try to get it back. This is not a situation that you want to be in, especially if you want to hit an aggressive shot, which is, which is what Tony is asking about. The second situation where hitting on the rise is very useful is when your opponent has hit a high floating and weak shot that you want to attack on. This is a ball that also maybe has crossed the net by five or six feet, but it's not traveling very far into the court, and it's landing maybe somewhere around the service line, uh, maybe even a little shorter than that. Um, or deeper, but definitely not close to the baseline. This is a shot that you're going to move forward into the baseline to be able to hit early on purpose, and very often you'll follow up that shot with a volley by coming up to the net. The third situation where you're going to want to consider hitting the ball on the rise is when you've been caught off guard and in the middle of the court by your opponent. Maybe you had a hard time recovering back to the baseline after a tough shot from your opponent that landed short um, or, or something. Maybe you're serving and volleying uh, and the ball's been hit right at your feet. But some way or another, you've been caught in the center of the court, uh, not necessarily literally the center, but inside the baseline, and the ball is coming right towards your feet. Um, that's another situation where you might want to consider hitting the sh- uh, hitting the ball on the rise instead of backing way up to allow, to allow the ball to come up to the peak of its bounce and then come back down again. So those are kind of the three main situations that you're going to want to try hitting the ball on the rise. Uh, when your opponent's hit a really good deep shot, when your opponent has hit a high and weak shot, or when you've been caught off guard inside the baseline and the ball is coming towards your feet. Now, let's talk about the technique of actually hitting a ball on the rise. And we're going to get into some uh, technical details now about how this actually works. And there's three main elements here that need to be done correctly if you guys want to be successful in hitting the ball on the rise. The first one is footwork. Positioning when you're trying to hit the ball on the rise is incredibly, incredibly important. And the reason for that is the ball is coming up right off the court and you have a very small window that the ball is actually in your strike zone. It's not going to be at waist height for very long. Also, you must read the bounce perfectly. You have zero time to change your position after the ball has landed. When you, when you hit a ball in a kind of a more a traditional way, uh, a ground stroke, and you allow it to bounce, come back up to the peak of its bounce, and then come back down again, you have time to make adjustments with your position after the ball is landed. Oftentimes, recreational players and, and sometimes even professional players misread a bounce. Maybe there's some more spin or a different kind of spin than they thought was going to be on the shot in the first place. Uh, maybe it even hits something on the court. This happens all the time in clay court tennis when the ball bounces a little bit differently than you expect. And when, you, when you're allowing the ball to come up off the bounce, then come back down again, you have extra time to be able to reposition yourself and, and make an adjustment. When you're hitting the ball on the rise, you can't do that. You don't have the time to make an adjustment. And so putting yourself in just the right position is incredibly important to be able to actually hit an effective shot. 
Most rec- recreational players are still trying to get in the right place after the ball has bounced. And so trying to hit the ball immediately after it's bounced usually presents you know, some problems for, for recreational players. And so a lot of you guys listening are not going to want to use this tactic a lot. However, it's something that I do recommend you work on and see if it comes quickly to you. See if you're able to develop it uh, pretty fast and, and you can add it into your repertoire. So that's footwork. Uh, You've got to position yourself in the right spot. Secondly, out of three here for technique elements is timing. As I mentioned a second ago, the ball moves through your strike zone very quickly and you have very little time to make adjustments. That means that not only does your positioning have to be great, but the timing of your swing also has to be perfect in order to make contact where it's comfortable. If you start your swing a little bit too late, the ball is going to be really high. If you begin your swing too early, it's going to be really low and and just barely coming off of the court. And there's not a whole lot of time, like actual physical amounts of time in between those two timings, uh, being early or being late or being just just about right where you're making contact around waist height. There's not a lot of margin for error there because the ball is coming up off the court so quickly. Uh, immediately after it bounces. Now, this means uh, since the ball comes up off the bounce so quickly and goes through your strike zone so quickly, usually your swing should actually begin before the ball even hits the court. Um, And so you want to have your racket prepared, obviously, before the ball gets to the bounce. And you want to kind of drop your racket and begin your forward swing before the ball even hits the court a lot of times. Not always. It depends on the the speed that the ball is traveling at and um, where you are on the court, how aggressively you're trying to hit it, how big your backswing is, all kinds of things. But usually you're going to want to begin your ground stroke swing before it actually hits the court. And when recreational players miss time and on the rise shot, like 99% of the time they're too late and they've begun their swing uh, past, the, past the time, past the, the, the window where it would have been appropriate so that they're making contact in a comfortable spot. They begin a little bit later than they should, which means that the ball comes up out of their strike zone and it ends up being too high. And if you guys are, are going to go out and try this for the first time, more than likely at first, you're going to position yourself too far away from the ball and more than likely you're going to be late. And the ball is going to be up too high. And this is just from experience. Uh, And and teaching this to people, teaching this to kids, uh, this is a really valuable thing to teach to kids because a lot of times uh, children's strokes are kind of beyond their their physical attributes. And so you you might have an 11, 12-year-old kid with with great topspin ground strokes, but they're only four feet tall. Uh, or maybe even less. And so they've, they've got to really position themselves in the right spot. And a shot that's been hit high and close to their baseline sometimes is just unreturnable when they try to let it come back down again from the bounce because they're just not tall enough to get a racket on it. So I very often taught, how, uh, taught kids how to hit on the rise to be able to combat a high, deep shot from their opponents. And in my experience, when they're first starting off trying to learn it, they don't get themselves close enough, they don't position themselves close enough to the bounce, or they position themselves in the right spot, but they wait too long to start their swing and the ball gets up way too high outside of their strike zone. So for those of you going out and and you're going to try this for the first time, swing early, probably earlier than you think you're going to have to. 
Now let's talk about actual technique and changes and adjustments you're going to have to make to your technique in order to make this shot. Hitting on the rise is different than a more traditional or standard ground stroke because the ball is actually coming upwards. It's accelerating upwards off the court as opposed to accelerating downwards back towards the court again and falling back down after it's bounced. This means that closing your racket face a little bit more is usually necessary. And I'm talking about a a topspin ground stroke here or a drive ground stroke, a low to high type swing. When you combine your low to high swing with a ball that's coming up off the court and accelerating upwards towards your racket, it means that the ball is going to combine with uh, the upward traveling ball with your upward traveling racket very often causes the ball to travel farther than what you were expecting. And rather than uh, shorten your swing up and get tentative and start just pushing the ball in play. And Tony, this is for you. Since you want to hit this shot aggressively, you're going to want to close your racket face more. So we want the strings facing down towards the court a little bit more than the normal. And when I say a little bit, I'm talking like a couple of degrees. Uh, when you guys hit a, a standard topspin or drive type ground stroke, you want your racket face to be just about perpendicular, right about flat, um, 90 degrees to the to the court surface. When you're hitting on the rise, you're going, you're going to want to close it just a little bit more than that as you continue to make a full swing to be able to keep that in, in the court. And I want you guys to, and Tony, you especially, since you want to hit this aggressively, continue to accelerate upwards as you normally would. You want to create topspin. This is going to help uh, keep the shot in play more consistently. Um, don't decelerate and push it in play unless it's a really tough shot and you just want to block it back into the court. I, I want you guys to, to try making a full follow-through at the ball. And again, if you miss lawn, close that racket face a little bit more. Um, if you're having trouble timing this, guys, if you're going out and trying it for the first time, um, you can try just shortening up the swing. And you guys will see pros do this from time to time, especially in the third example of a situation where you guys are going to want to use this. When you get caught off guard and you're in the middle of the court, you can just simply block the ball back in play and use this as more of a defensive type shot. That's not what Tony asks about, but you can use this as a way to stay in better position just keep the ball back in play, nothing fancy, and hope to get back into the points and, and regain control of what's going on in the points. Now, let's talk about actually hitting it aggressively, which is what Tony asked about. L let me tell you what, you, you'd better practice it. And Tony, this goes for you and, and everybody else listening. You, you're, again, your timing, your positioning, and your swing technique all have to be just right and there's very little margin for error here. I, I talked earlier about how the positioning and the timing are, are so delicate, and, and it, you've got to be just right. If you're a little bit off on any of these things, it, it becomes a very awkward shot very quickly. And so if you guys want to be able to use this in match play, start practicing and, and practice it a lot. Have a, a friend or a practice partner hit you high, deep shots, and practice taking it right off the bounce, making contact at waist height, and making a full follow-through. Tony, it sounds like you want to use this as an attacking shot, so I, I would recommend that you practice moving forwards and hitting the more aggressive type shot where you're moving into the court and taking a shot that's landing a little bit shorter on the rise. This, that would be a great shot for you to practice. 
Start off at a moderate pace, Tony, you and everybody else as well. And once you start getting consistent and you get comfortable with the positioning and the timing, go ahead and start to speed up the swing a little bit. But I, I would really caution you guys from doing that right away. Make sure that you're getting comfortable with the important technical elements of this shot first before you start to really speed up the swing and, and try to hit it aggressively. Well, Tony, thank you very much for your question. I, I appreciate it. Great question, and uh, it was really nice to hear uh, from you in Georgia. It's always great to kind of put a, a pin in a, in a new country on the map. So thanks for being a listener, and hopefully my description here was helpful to you. Before we get to our next question, I want to quickly tell you guys about the sponsor of the Essential Tennis Podcast, and that is Championship Tennis Tours, and they are located at TennisTours.com. These guys put together ticket travel packages and hotel and accommodation packages for professional tennis events, both the ATP and WTA. They provide tickets and accommodations to all of the four Grand Slams, along with many, many other professional tennis events all over the world. So if you're planning on going to a professional tennis event in the near future, please definitely check them out. And you can get a discount just for being a listener of the Essential Tennis Podcast. They have coming up a a couple great packages for the U.S. Open where you guys can choose between hotels, types of tickets, also uh, tickets to a Broadway performance or to a baseball game, to a city tour, limousine shuttle, all kinds of excellent choices, ways to really make your trip memorable and an exciting experience. So definitely go check them out at TennisTours.com. If you use the promotional code ESSENTIAL with a capital E when you check out, you'll receive a discount off your travel package. And if you do that in conjunction with purchasing a package to the U.S. Open, you'll also receive an invitation to a championship tennis tours and essential tennis podcast cocktail party at the W Hotel in Times Square, which is pretty awesome. And I'm trying to make plans to be there myself and and meet some of you guys, the listeners, who help support the advertisers of the Essential Tennis Podcast. So please show them your support by making a purchase. It doesn't have to be a package. You can purchase individual tickets as well. So go check them out at TennisTours.com. I thank them very much for their support of the Essential Tennis Podcast. All right, next up, we've got a great question from Noam in California. He came out to the Essential Tennis Clinic in Palm Springs earlier this year. So Noam, good, good to hear from you again. He wrote and said, you always hear and read about placement of the serve, but can that really be done? I'm sure some players are able to do that, like professional uh, tennis players. But if this is something that can be developed by them, then what are the key elements to change when your goal is to change the placement of the serve from one serve to another? Would it be positioning of yourself on a different spot of the baseline and keeping the same service motion? Or is it more of controlling the shot by changing the grip, arm, back, wrist movement, etc.? Hopefully this question makes sense, and if it does, I am sure you can supply a practical answer. Thanks again, Noam. Yes, it is possible, and no, you don't have to be a professional player. 
to be able to place your serve. Absolutely not. I, I teach players how to do this every single week when I'm at work. I, I've actually been working with one student just on her serve a, a couple of times a week. And we've been working really hard on, uh, we've totally broken down her, her technique and, uh, and rebuilt it, uh, to, to be better and, uh, more solid te- technically. And we've worked a lot on exactly what you're describing, Noam, being able to place the serve and vary its placement on purpose in different places in the box. Now, to answer your question directly, in order to, to place a serve in different places, no, don't change the grip. Don't change your technique, the type of serve, your positioning on the courts, on the baseline, or anything else if you want your serve to be aimed in different places. You don't have to change any of that stuff in order to control where the ball is going. So what is it? It's all about your racket face at contact. Where the, where the strings are actually facing when you make contact is what is going to determine where the ball goes, period. Now that probably seems, that sounds incredibly uh, obvious and incredibly simple, and it is. But that's exactly what it comes down to. Where the racket is facing is determined by the timing of your pronation during the swing. Now there's going to be a, a big disclaimer here. That, uh, this is assuming that your service swing is a traditional uh, type swing and, and technically sound meaning that you follow all the main elements and, and fundamentals of a good, solid service swing. Um, when you guys break down the, the service technique of high-level players, whether they be professional or college players, um, basically four or five uh, player and above, you'll see vi- uh, several key similarities between these types of players and how they swing a tennis racket. One of those similarities is pronation. You will see all top-level tennis players pronate. Pronating, I've talked about on the podcast before. I'm not going to get really into it, but basically it's the rotation of your forearm and your shoulder from inside to outside. If you face your palms together, if you put your both your hands in front of you, face them together so that they're parallel and your palms are facing each other, and then you rotate your hands so that they face down towards the ground, you've just pronated both of your arms. And again, that rotation occurs really uh, pronation refers to rotation of your forearm. Uh, the rotation of your shoulder also aids in getting that rotation, that acceleration of the racket towards the outside of your body. So what does that have to do with actually aiming your serve? Well, if you look at slow motion video, of, let's talk about a right-handed player here. When the, after the racket has dropped back behind uh, the player, after they've taken the racket up and prepared their body, after their arm has bent and the racket has dropped, this is called the racket drop position usually uh, when you guys watch instructional videos online, the, uh, the player's palm and the racket strings that are going to be used to hit the ball are facing to the left. Your palm is facing to the left and so are the strings, the side of the racket that's about to get used to hit the ball. As the racket starts moving upwards on edge towards the contact point, up towards the ball, they will begin to pronate. And their hand, their palm, and the racket will rotate towards the right and meet the ball facing towards the target. And this is kind of the magical point in time that's going to determine where the ball goes. Depending on where the strings are facing at this point in time, 
will determine uh, what target area is about to get hit by the serve or maybe what target area is about to get missed if they're aiming somewhere different than where the strings are actually facing. As contact is made, the racket continues to rotate and will finish with the palm of a righty player's hand facing to the right. So there's a 180-degree rotation of the forearm from left to right, facing to the player's left uh, if they're facing forwards towards the net, and then finishing facing towards the right uh, shortly after contact. And this is the pronation element of the serve. And so depending on the timing of this pronation and exactly when during this 180-degree rotation contact is made is what's going to determine the direction where the ball goes. For a righty player, the longer that they hold the racket on edge as it moves up towards the ball, the more to the left the ball will go. Because their hand will, if they, if they wait a long time, they wait longer to start to unwind their hand to the right, the strings will be angled more to the left. If they begin that pronation process a little bit earlier, contact is made with their palm and with the strings facing more to the right. And late and early here are relative terms. We're talking about a couple of degrees in rotation between hitting the left corner of a service box and the right corner of a service box. Um, I don't know what the measurement is exactly, but I, I would wager it's probably 10 degrees or less between those two targets, the, the extremes, the, the left side and the right side of the box. We're talking about very small changes in the racket face that make a big difference in where the ball goes. And so, Noam, where exactly your racket face is facing at contact as you pronate, uh, the split second that the ball meets the strings and where the strings are facing determines where the ball is aimed. And you should be able to stand anywhere on the baseline, literally anywhere, and use the same grip, use the same technique, and be able to hit any corner of either box just by varying uh, the timing of your, of your pronation and where exactly the strings are facing when you make contact. Now, um, <laughs> for those of you who are still listening to me, because uh, I, I know that listening to audio instruction of, of details that are really detailed like this um, is not everybody's cup of tea. So uh, thank you guys for, <laughs> for bearing with me through that. Uh, for those of you who are more visual learners when it comes to this, I just did a video explaining this fully. I mean, I went through the entire process on how exactly this works with visual examples. I used myself as the example, and I, I hit two serves uh, from the ad side. Since I'm, I'm left-handed, I used the same grip. I stood in exactly the same place. I used the same service motion. I used the same type of serve. It was a spin serve, and I compared two swings, one where I hit right down the tee and I hit the center line. It was as, le as left as I could, could have possibly gone in that service box and another serve, all the same mechanics. And I hit the, f and I hit the other corner. I hit the right uh, corner of the box and I compared my techniques between those two service placements. And I, I show you guys how uh, in that video, how all of my technique was exactly the same except for right at contact where my strings, you, you can see on the video, slow motion video, where I captured right at contact and you can see the difference in angles between my serve down the middle and my serve out wide. Go check that video out. It, it's really good, uh, if I can say so myself, uh, it's really good comparison and should explain to you guys fully about what I'm talking about in a more visual way. It's a 10 minute long video. 
uh, and really explains this. So Noam and, and everybody else listening who has an interest in this, go check that out. Just go to EssentialTennis.com, click on video. And as I'm recording this, it's the one all the way at the top. And it's called Pronation and Aiming Your Serve. So go check that out. That does it for episode 119 of the Essential Tennis Podcast. Thank you very much for joining me today, and I hope that today's show has been helpful to you. If you would ever like me to answer your question on the podcast, feel free to send me an email to ian at essentialtennis.com. Ian is spelled I-A-N. I'd love to hear from you. And before I wrap up uh, today's show, I want to let you guys know that somebody recently dropped their spot for the upcoming Essential Tennis Clinic in Galveston, Texas in July. So if you're interested in working with me over a whole weekend and mental tennis expert David Grumpin for an incredible uh, instructional experience, please shoot me an email to ian at essentialtennis.com. This event was sold out, and unfortunately, one of my listeners just had to pull out uh, something came up, and she's no longer able to make the event. So if you would like to join me and seven other Essential Tennis listeners in, in working on your game over a weekend, please shoot me an email also at ian at essentialtennis.com. All right, that does it for this week. Thanks again, everybody, for listening. Take care, and good luck with your tennis. 